Hey, guys. You ready to let the dogs out? What? Do what? <laughs> let the dogs out. You know, like, who let the dogs out? Who? Who? Off the Hook, airing on offthehooksports.com. Your home for real news, real opinions, and what really matters about Tennessee athletics. Always available on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Stitcher, Google Play, TuneIn, iHeart. Like, share, follow, subscribe. Always available wherever you find your favorite podcasts. A little bit of tech issues off the front. That's always great. He's Caleb Calhoun. I'm Dave Hooker. The transfer portal closing disaster at the University of Florida, which we'll dig into. And also yesterday was the two-year anniversary of Philip Fulmer stepping aside as the athletic director asked to step aside, as was the firing of Jeremy Pruitt. So we'll get into that. What is his lasting legacy? And it pretty much lies with the Lady Balls. So a lot to get to, including uh, more movement in the transfer portal, which I don't think is incredibly surprising, uh, Caleb. And as we start to break down uh, what uh, the SEC has done, I don't think it's hardly a surprise before we get to Tennessee's class that Ole Miss brought in a couple of transfers. That's the way Lane Kiffin wants to build that program for now. And I don't know that he has a bunch of choice because I don't know that Ole Miss can compete with the upper echelon of the SEC. So I think it's going to be uh, have to be transfer portal and uh, see what happens. So uh, for now, uh, Ole Miss picks, it, picks up two defensive backs that are entering the portal sophomore Tashim Johnson and freshman Davison Igabasuan. I did the best I could. That's according to Max Olson of The Athletic. But when we start to look at what Tennessee has done, I wanted to break down the commitments that Tennessee has and the transfers and the signees and the enrollees and all that good stuff. So we've got a firm grasp now as people can still transfer in, theoretically, Uh, But the way it works is you can't enter the portal anymore. So, in other words, pretty slim pickings from this point forward. Good morning, Caleb. How are you? Pretty good. How are you doing today, Dave? I'm well. Um, Your thoughts on what Tennessee in general, before we start to break down each player, picked up in the transfer portal? What did you think? Um, I thought they did um, what they needed to do. We're seeing that Josh Heupel really focuses on addressing needs in the transfer portal more than anything else. Um, he did that particularly on the offensive line with um, uh, Andre Carrick and uh, John Campbell. Um, he's, I'm sure they're going to have competition there. Um, obviously, the uh, flashy pick was the Oregon transfer transfer wide receiver sorry i can't talk this morning <laughs> uh oregon transfer wide receiver dante thornton i think that was really the big standout that's um like like i like i said that's that's John, dante thornton going to tennessee's offense is for you harry potter fans is if voldemort could have ever gotten the elder wand to work for him <laughs> it's like it's You're like right. what that means but you did use a kevin durant uh yes person that made a lot of sense Yes, it's Kevin Durant going to join the already pro, like pro, like insanely efficient Golden State offense, um, and so obviously that is the uh, splashy pickup. Um, I think that t- I think one th- I think I don't think Tennessee's done in the portal, and what I mean is you know there's two old old Miss DBs you you mentioned um, that entered the portal. 
I think there's a chance Tennessee might go for one of them, if I'm going to be honest. Um, Dave, you and I both know I, – I, there's no way Tennessee and Josh Heibel can be satisfied with the, with their secondary right now, even with this recruiting class coming in. They, they need help. That's where they need the most help, badly. No, I, I agree. Um, let's take a look at the transfers that are coming in. And, again, Tennessee, just because the portal's closed, it doesn't mean they can't pick up more guys. Uh, but at this point, you would think this is pretty much your list because all of these guys have been culled through. So breaking news, breaking news, Tennessee picked up a transfer cornerback from BYU as we're doing the show right now. Oh, okay, tell us more about him. Uh, Gabe Judy Lally, he uh, transferred from he entered the portal um, last month. It was uh, his second consecutive all season um, from the portal, uh, entering the portal. He's six to 185 pounds. Um, he had taken visits to Baylor and UCLA. Um, looks like uh, so that's that's Tennessee's second um, transfer portal pickup because remember they picked up a linebacker, Keenan Peely. Um, he started at before BYU last year. He actually started at Vanderbilt in 2021. So he's gone from Vanderbilt to BYU to back to the SEC to Tennessee. I don't know if that's a red flag, but he has started in the SEC, and so looks like Josh Heupel has focused on. Uh, beating up the secondary. Yeah, this happened literally as we were, as we were getting the show off the ground this morning with their technical issues. You know, I don't um, necessarily think that it's a red flag anymore when a guy transfers more multiple times. That used to be a really big red flag. You want to go before that red flag was going to junior college, but I believe we're past that point. I, I think it's just part of business. So, uh, two, well, one, two, it'd be be what, two total transfers from Vanderbilt to BYU and then BYU to Tennessee. I don't think that's a red flag any longer. I did for a long time, but I don't think that's a red flag. Now, as far as transfers coming in that we, we have a better grasp on since that just happened, uh, l- let me run through them and, and hear what uh, I'll tell you what I'm hearing. John Campbell, I think he's he's got a long ways to go before he plays to, for Tennessee. We'll see. Uh, Omar Norman Lott, John Campbell, by the way, was the offensive lineman from Maryland. Then you have Omar Norman Cam, uh, Norman Lott, uh, 6'2", 295 pounds, uh, defensive lineman. Uh, I have every reason to think that he could be in the rotation. Uh, Dante Thornton, who you mentioned, is the flashy one, the wide receiver who adds to a group that already has uh, Squirrel White, already has... Uh, Ramel Keaton and Brew McCoy. So the rich get richer at that position. Keenan Pill is one that I think is a little underestimated by some Tennessee fans. I think he's a good Mike linebacker that can get the job done. He's going to know where he is supposed to be. Is he going to go sideline to sideline? Probably not. I hear great things about Andre Kerrig, um, the offensive lineman. I think he's going to be a player. Uh, Charles Campbell. Um, at uh, 5'9", 175 pounds, a kicker. Goodness knows the Cowboys proved on Monday night you could always use another kicker, and he, he's able to step in there. And then McAllen Castles, I believe, was the very first transfer, a tight end of Cal- out of California. And McAllen Castles is a guy that you would expect to step in and play right away, as much as they use two tight ends. And in case you didn't notice during the season, it was either Jacob Warren or Princeton fan in the game. So they were sort of co-starters. And I think McAllen Castles is expected to step in there. Now, you might see Warren uh, 
be a bigger part of the offense like Princeton Fant was, kind of an elevation, and that's part of the reason why he, he came back, I would imagine. But with uh, Castles, you need a guy that's going to be able to step in and play those valuable drives and snaps because they don't want to sub from one guy to another because it slows down the tempo. So McAllen Castles, I think, is a significant pickup. If I had to rate them in terms of uh, will play, won't play, based off what I've heard, I would say Carrig number one will be an impact player. I think Dante Thornton and Keenan Pill, for totally different reasons, I would kind of have tied it second in that regard. And then McAllen Castles absolutely has to play. So we're going to be talking about this throughout the program and the SEC portal and what's going on. And we encourage you to hit that like button. Thumbs up. It helps us bring much, much more um, into the fold in terms of our audience. And we appreciate that. And be sure and support our advertisers. Speaking of Zach England of Best and Brock, Zach's got your back. Zach England of Best and Brock is phenomenal when it comes to standing toe to toe with the insurance company attorneys that don't want you to get what you're supposed to get. So that's Zach England of Best and Brock. Zach's got your back, a personal injury attorney in Chattanooga that will take care of you. So, what are your thoughts on the group that Tennessee brings in? through the transfer portal. Who stands out to you? Who do you have question marks about your thoughts, Caleb? So I'm with you on, um, on McCollin Castles. He is one that he just, he fills a void that has to be filled, particularly with Miles Campbell now having transferred. I think Miles Campbell found his new destination yesterday, by the way, but um, you know, that, I guess you would call it tight end H back position, maybe because it's kind of like a, a mix mixture of both. Um, I think McCollin Castles is a better fit for that than Jacob Warren, who seems more like the goal line tight end. Jacob Warren seems like more like the bigger target when you get inside the red zone and the blocking tight end. So you're right, he feels a direct need. Omar Norman Lott is going to be in the rotation. I don't know if he's going to start, but I, I know that he's going to be in the rotation, I'm pretty sure, on the defensive line. Um, Dante Thornton, I'm just, it's not that Tennessee needed him, but God, I'm like, I, I don't know what his stats are going to look like next year, but that's just a scary, scary situation. Thornton in Tennessee's offensive six, five slot guy. Uh, that's the craziest thing still to me that Tennessee was able to get him, but I understand why he went Keenan Peely. Um, I'm with you. Probably not a sideline to sideline guy. You're probably right. But I think what I saw from Tim Binks this year with his with with his scheming, he likes to do a lot of different blitz packages, and it's a lot, isn't it? A lot more north south running for the linebackers than it is sideline to sideline. I didn't really see Jeremy Binks move laterally that much this past. No, year. I, I mean it's always nice to be able to flip your hips and, and be able to get sideline to sideline. But I agree, it's a it's a vertical defense, so I don't think that's as much as an issue. I think uh, Peely will step in and and be the guy who's kind of like the uh, mainstay run stopper that you know you've got. And, and the other thing, too, and I don't mind stereotyping in, in this, and you know, we're not supposed to stereotype anymore, but the guys with the background of the Polynesian background, I have yet to see one that didn't play incredibly hard and passionate. So, I mean, I think having those guys on your team, um, and I've talked to uh, Polynesian recruiting analysts who, who say that's just kind of the mentality of those guys. So, listen, if you got one of those guys on your team, uh, I remember JT Mapu 
was one that gave every single ounce on every single play. So I think that's what you're looking for out of a guy like that. And I think he'll be able to give you that. I agree. It's funny you say that because I, I, you know, it's Keenan Peely is Mormon. He did a mission and Mapu, I remember JT Mapu, Mapu was a, when he left school for two years to do a mission in the middle of his Tennessee career. Mm-hmm. I, I'm not devoutly religious, but I have, I do have a belief that people who are devoutly religious are oftentimes at peace to a certain degree and it kind of allows them to play harder. I don't know if that makes sense, but they're, they're mentally at peace at more than a lot of other people. Um, and that's, if you're Mormon, that's if you're Southern Protestant, like Reggie White and you know, it's, uh, or Tim Tebow for that matter. But I, I agree. It, there, there seems to be a lot of, you see a lot of that with, with those guys. Um, Jesse Mahalona, that's true. Rest in peace. Passed away in a car crash about 13 years ago, but played really hard for Tennessee at defensive tackle, I remember. Um, He was phenomenal. And I'm probably, because I'm getting older, um, combining some of those uh, memories. But certainly Jesse Mahalona, how many shoestring tackles did he have? Uh, Oh, my gosh. Just more. And that was just pure effort more than anything else. He He was phenomenal. Uh, Travis saying pairing up uh, with Warren and talking about the castles. Uh, it's a great pickup. Um, and Travis says it's impossible to replace Fant. I thought Fant was one of the best natural athletes on the team. So, yes, it's impossible to replace a guy who's going to line up at fullback, who's going to be able to do all those things. You and I may differ a little bit. You said something that mm-hmm. stuck out to me. I don't see Warren as just the goal line tight end. I just think it was coincidence he wasn't more involved in the passing game because he wasn't in when those plays were called. I think he's, I think he's pretty athletic as a pass receiver. You? Oh, oh yeah. I mean, he can be a pass. I, 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 I meant to say red zone. I, th- I saw him more of a, as a red zone tight end because he's the guy that can catch the touchdown passes. Where if you're on the twenty and you need to fade into the end zone, no one can guard Warren in the end zone. That's what I meant. Um, and he's in between the hashes. I, I think he does a lot more of the blocking. Um, and so, I, yeah, I, I, I agree. He's athletic. I didn't want to say that. I, I think Jacob Warren is perfect for the system. I just think that, you know, I'm not sure Warren is the guy that you can line up at H back. Like you could do with Princeton Fant, or, you know, sneak him into white. I don't know if you could sneak Warren into white out the way, you know, they oftentimes did with Princeton Fant a lot of times. And I, I'm wondering if they're going to do that with McCollin castles, by the way, I got, one Polynesian, a person of Polynesian descent, I forgot who was not the best at giving his all. And that was Albert Toyana. <laughs> yeah. um, I, I go back to Albert and I thought that, and I thought you might mention his name. I thought he had heavy feet from the get-go. I didn't think he was naturally talented, played left tackle. Um, but I also think that was a year in which he hit what should have been his best year where there was just coaching issues across the board and um you know at one point i was told that he left practice early and quit the team and they had to beg him to come back and there was another point where he supposedly spat at a reporter and i recall um we got the the parents had the video and he spat on the ground in front of the reporter did not spit on the camera person uh, not a reporter, a camera person. And I, I saw the video because I remember uh, the Toyinas calling me and saying, can, for, for whatever reason, halfway to Gatlinburg was where they got a hotel and uh, meeting them at Country Inns and Suites in the conference room and watching the tape. So um, I thought he was a bit misunderstood. I thought that 
he was a guy that they just threw off the team pretty easily because they wanted to make a statement. But was he wasn't a great player, I will say this. He was a very average offensive lineman, just his play alone. But I thought he kind of got a bad rap. Uh, uh, I, might be fair. I thought the whole offensive line that year in 2005, we always talk about the quarterback issues, but I just remember the offensive line seemed to be completely out of shape that year. Well, and also Albert Tolino was one of those guys that you fall in love with. If you're a Philip former guy who loves this Jimmy's and Joe's more than the X's and O's, you see a guy who's 345 pounds. And I think he was like 607 or he's six foot seven. Uh, that, that is the guy that you fall in love with if you're a talent guy, but that's not the guy who's necessarily got great feet and is able to uh, move around. Portions of the program brought to you by Viles Automotive Group. Viles Automotive Group right there on Callahan, the epicenter of car shopping and car service. They will take care of you. They want, they need, and they appreciate your business. That's Viles Automotive Group. So certainly check them out. Viles Automotive Group, just great integrity, and they are absolutely fantastic. Fantastic. Elias saying story I got was that there was a secret player meeting leading to an ultimatum directed at a coaching staff, just an absolute trainer. I, Elias helped me during the break. I don't know what you're referring to. I don't know what you're referring to. That's the Jeremy Banks situation. If you're referring to the Albert Toina situation, I can tell you the insides and outsides of both, I believe, but we'll do that right after this. Stay tuned. Two minutes. He's Caleb Calhoun. I'm Dave Hooker. Off the Hook Sports, brought to you in part by GIAplantoday.com, Guardian Investment Advisors. That's GIAplantoday.com. They are absolutely phenomenal because they are able to be a video teleconferencing, give you the type of investment advice that you just can't get locally. So they can do it on a national level. They are phenomenal. So call Gary and the group, tell them Off the Hook Sports sent you. And do it all online and figure out not only where your money is going, but why it's going there. GIAplantoday.com. today.com back in two minutes off the hook sports. And has risen to the highest level in over 40 years, according to the April 2022 U.S. inflation calculator. Will your investments provide you the income you need in retirement? Are you losing purchasing power of your savings due to inflation? Simply stated, if the cost of goods and services are 8% higher and you're only earning 4% in your investments, that money buys you less of what you need. Right now is the time to act. Call Guardian Investment Advisors today. Hey folks, Gary Viles here. I want to personally invite you to North Knoxville's newest sports bar and restaurant. It's Big Orange Phillies, located in Black Oak Center. And yes, folks, it's happening in halls. Big Orange Phillies offers family-friendly environment with homemade meals and the best deli-style subs around. Billiards, darts, jukebox, shuffleboard, and cornhole, and a full bar. We also offer valet parking on weekends and during special events. We even have a covered back patio. It's happening at Big Orange Phillies. We want, we need, and we appreciate your business. Hi, Mike Davis here with City Heating and Air, reminding you to always dare to compare. Our team provides quality local heating and air service, installation, and maintenance across East Tennessee. We use only the best equipment like American Standard Heating and Air Conditioning for your residential, new construction, or commercial needs. Honesty, dependability, and customer satisfaction have been the cornerstones of our business since 1961. City Heat and Air. Chattanooga, we're at it again. For the fifth year in a row, you voted us best of the best criminal and DUI law firm. 
and finalist for best law firm and best personal injury firm. Thank you for the love, Chattanooga. We won't let you down. Do you want to own the more that owns every job? Then get to Vasty Lawn and Garden in Cleveland and get you a Toro. I'm David Vasty, here to talk to you about Toro. With a Toro Zero turn, you'll get more out of every minute and you'll reach the finish line faster. At Vassy's, we like to say, no matter if you're mowing three acres a week or 11 lawns a day, homeowners and business owners alike find confidence in equipment they can trust from top to bottom. Vassy Lawn and Garden, Highway 60 North in Cleveland. Man alive, it's worth the drive. Got cataracts? We can fix that. Never miss another moment with a little help from Drs. Campbell, Cunningham, Taylor, and Hahn at cctis.com. Please allow me to introduce myself. Elias, help me out. Are you talking about the Jeremy Banks situation or Toena? Totally confused here. And then we can address that. But I do want to address a Tennessee two years ago this week made the move from uh, Philip Fulmer to Danny White and made the move away from Jeremy Pruitt. We all know the many things that went wrong with that. Um, okay, so Elias is referring to the 2005 situation with uh, Toina. I, I can tell you that he was kicked off the team very hastily because there was a lot of pressure on the coaching staff. And I can tell you that the person that I talked to within Tennessee's athletic department, when I said I'd actually seen the tape and Toina, Toina's parents videoed everything he had. So he, he spat at the ground in front of the television camera person. It was not a situation where he spat on him. Now, uh, I tried to interview the television uh, camera person, and he did not want to be reported uh, or quoted or talked to, or he did not want to be a part of the report. Uh, you can maybe he just didn't want to be a part of the story. As a reporter, you don't want to be a part of the story. But when you throw that allegation out there, and I'm defending Albert Toina from, what, 20 years ago? Um, I... I I think you have to back it up in some respect and you can't just put it on social media. And it, it got, it got really entangled on my end because that person's um, wife actually happened to be a client of the radio station. So that I, that I worked at uh, as, as well. So um, I don't think that Albert Tolina should have been thrown off. I think, Things were going downhill quickly, and it was a scapegoat move. That's based off the tape that I saw. And I remember calling the person who was pretty high up. And we may be talking about him here in a second. And I called and I said, um, well, they have tape. I've seen the tape. And it was, bleep it. What's on the tape, hooker? And I said, doesn't look like he spit on him. And uh, that was that was a situation. So I think that it was just a knee jerk reaction to a season going downhill. And Albert Toina was was thrown off the team. That being said, I don't know why we're stuck on Toina, because he was probably the, the one Polynesian player that wasn't the, the, the greatest in the world 
after we talk about Mapu and and uh, some Mahalona. of the Mahalona was just unbelievably fantastic. And uh, so, all right, let's let's get to this. Uh, Mike Hamilton was drowning. You're right, and so and so was the. And I think the coaching staff, to a large extent, the football department was drowning and trying to keep themselves above water. So I think Toina just absolutely was. I mean, his parents were crying when I interviewed him. Uh, I think he was the one that was easiest to get rid of because he allegedly spit uh, on a cameraman. That that was that's kind of back the beginning of cameras are everywhere, Caleb, like body cameras for police officers nowadays. You can't make an allegation or do anything without there being some sort of video evidence, either in your favor or to the contrary. That's just their cameras everywhere. Yeah, it, it's it's that was why it was hilarious a couple of years ago. And I'm a, I, I, I want to say up front because I'm from Memphis. I'm a fan of Penny Hardaway's. But when he was making up those stories about his players, John with Tennessee's players and the first Tennessee basketball Memphis game, and it totally did not like was not consistent with what everybody saw on camera. This was an ESPN nationally televised game. And the fact that he thought that he could, and he, I don't know if he lied or if his players lied to him, but the fact that either of them thought that this wasn't all going to be called on cameras was hilariously ridiculous. Yeah. So that's, that's what's going to happen nowadays. And Caleb and I were talking about how players can't just say, yeah, can't the police can't just tell them, Hey, go, take off i know you've been drinking a little bit go ahead and go home because i'm a big tennessee fan those or an alabama fan or whoever those are just harder harder to get away with all right so um this week is the two weekend uh, the two-year anniversary of philip former being replaced as a athletic director by danny white so i wrote a column in this on uh, off the hook sports and if you want to check it out we would love for you too but we're gonna uh, pretty much break it down right here so uh, Philip Fulmer, ultimately, Caleb, we can both agree, is judged just like any athletic director in the SEC, with the exception of maybe Kentucky. And that is, it's football, and then everybody else is kind of nice, right? Right, exactly. Okay, so we all know that Philip Fulmer hired Jeremy Pruitt. Uh, here's a situation where I don't think that Philip Fulmer was uh, tied in. I think a couple of people told him no. I think some people were afraid to work for a coach uh, that was an athletic director. That was very common in the 70s and 80s, but it just it hasn't been in the decades re more recently. And Philip Fulmer was a guy that stepped in that the reputation was, be it fair or not, that he liked Philip Fulmer maybe just a little bit more than the university. So he was going to look out for himself. So I don't know how many coaches told him no before Jeremy Pruitt finally said yes. But Caleb, I'll tell you this, I, I believe it was more than a couple. And I think you settled on Jeremy Pruitt. And you brought up a good point. Maybe he saw a little bit of himself in Jeremy Pruitt from a defensive perspective. Yeah, I think that's exactly what it was. Um, I, I think he may have been told no by a couple of coaches, but I think the profile of a couple of coaches was Jeremy Pruitt's profile. And I remember Philip Fulmer in the press conference talking about, I remember him saying, uh, being interviewed after Jeremy Pruitt's press conference, saying, you know, talking about the toughness in the SEC and the intensity and stuff that kind of comes with a defensive coach. And I always said, like, 
offensive line coaches, like that's the one position that if you're coaching, it's very similar to being a defensive coach where it's all about the toughness and the line of scrimmage and, you know, blue collar football or whatever. And I think Fulmer was very biased to that style. I knew when Fulmer got the job that, you know, Tennessee was talking to Mike Leach. I know there was no way Tennessee was getting Mike Leach at that point, because I know that Philip Fulmer does not believe in any sort of creativity with offense. Like you said, he's, he believes Jimmy's and Joe's over X's and O's all day, every day. And, and I think that he also, I think Fulmer also saw, remember that year was Kirby Smart's second year at Georgia and Kirby Smart was going undefeated at Georgia, going to the national championship game. And I think he thought, oh, Jeremy Pruitt's the next Kirby Smart. Let's take a chance on him. And yeah, I, it was a it was a bad hire. I think that doesn't mean it couldn't have worked out. You and I know there's some there's some bad hires that sometimes work out. And sure. but but I think Fulmer went for the tough-minded defensive coach who can recruit at a high level. And I think you and I both agree this was pre-NIL. Tennessee, given the fact that Georgia was dominant, Clemson was dominant, Alabama was dominant, they probably needed a creative offensive mind to stay ahead of the curve around that time because they just weren't they weren't just going to out-recruit Georgia or Alabama at that time. And with defensive coaches, you got to be able to out-recruit other guys because defense is more about talent than scheming. I agree with that. I also think that um, you're kind of looking at it from the perspective of who Philip Fulmer wanted. He may have wanted Mike Leach, but you're probably right. He probably didn't. But it's the coaches that would have come under that circumstance. So I look at Danny White, who had success at Buffalo and Central Florida. And by comparison, here's a guy that if three people tell him no, he's got a fourth person on the list that he feels pretty confident with. I don't think Josh Heupel was necessarily the first choice at Tennessee coming from UCF. I think there were probably other guys. We'll never know. That's one of those things that never, ever gets released. But I, I don't know that Josh Heupel was the first choice, but that's fine. Maybe the first choice was Nick Saban to hire him away from Alabama just for – conversational purposes. Okay, so he says no. Maybe the second choice is Kirby Smart to hire him away from Georgia for conversational purposes. However many people said no, however high you set your goals, it really doesn't matter because on the next level down, you were able to get a Josh Heupel who had a very solid resume and who is a guy that, you thought coming in had something a little bit different that would work in the SEC. So I don't care if that's your third, fourth, fifth, sixth, seventh, eighth choice on the list. You had that ready. Whereas Philip Fulmer, what did he have ready? He had Jeremy Pruitt was his catch-all at the end of the day. And that was an incredibly bad hire. Be sure and hit that like button so we can bring more people in. If you haven't subscribed, we want you to do that. Uh, but the like button is fantastic because it brings more people into the conversation. Chuck saying it was his last choice to bring him in. I tend to agree with that. Comments from the message board brought to you by Zul Beer Company, xulbeer.com. Worldwide award-winning craft beer. A great place to park downtown. You'll enjoy it. You'll love it. And we're going to have an event there really soon. Looking forward to that. The official craft beer of the Off the Hook Sports. So, my point is, it's not Philip Bulmer's fault that he took the position that was offered to him. As a matter of fact, it was somewhat natural. He was a consultant already. It's the administration's fault for offering it to him. 
You know, Philip Fulmer, I think we would all agree, just like most of us, we want what's best for us. And then I think with Philip Fulmer, second was best, what's best for the University of Tennessee. And I think he wanted to uh, achieve both of those goals. And I think he thought he did with Jeremy Pruitt. But the bottom line is th- there's just not a guy that's going to be tied in like he was not um, if you don't have an administration background. You can't spend your whole life teaching young men how to play the offensive line and be expected to be tied in. I use the comparison of this. How tied in was Mike Hamilton when he hired Bruce Pearl? Nobody really knew who Bruce Pearl was at the time, but he was tied into basketball circles, maybe even more so than football circles. So you have to be tied into those circles and you just don't snap your fingers and that happens. So I don't blame Philip Fulmer for any of that um, as far as the hire goes. Maybe he did things to cover up for Jeremy Pruitt after. I don't know. But as far as his hires and and you look at them, it's, it's Pruitt number one and everybody else. And then Kelly Harper is kind of the last, uh, kind of one of the last coaches that could have elite success. I believe out of the group, because if if you look at who he hired, uh, you've got Eve Rackham, who's done a fine job with the Lady Vols in the uh, NCAA tournament. And then you have Brenna Webb, who has captured seven tournament titles and six individuals in golf. But at the end of the day, he's going to be judged on Jeremy Pruitt and to a smaller extent, Kelly Harper. So I, he just was put in a position that he, there was no way he was going to have elite success. No way. I agree. And one of the things that, and you're right, when it comes to being tied in, there's understanding the nature and the structure of your program and what you're going for. One of the things that Danny White understands very well is that if you look at his hires and Danny White's very big on this everywhere he's been, he doesn't, he doesn't hire a guy and say, we're looking to, we're looking to build this program up in three years. He hires a guy that he knows can make a splash the first year he's there. Danny White's bill. And, and I actually kind of believe this is the way to hire two. If you're at a place like Tennessee and you're a program that's on fire, like Tennessee was in 2021, his philosophy was I need a guy that's going to make a splash the very first year. That's going to really invigorate the fan base. And that's going to help not just with ticket sales and important stuff like that, but that is going to help with recruiting because as you know, this, you make, you make a first year splash that, you know, the snowball kind of starts. Look at the first year splash Bruce Pearl made when he was hired and yes, Josh Heupel went seven and six, but I think we all agree going seven and six and given what Tennessee was expected to do, that was a first year splash. That was a huge deal that that happened. And I think that Danny white knew that. And I don't think, I don't think a football coach from the nineties who believes X's and O's Jimmy's Jimmy's and Joe's over X's and O's is really going to approach it from that perspective. And, no, I agree, and I think the Dave Clawson hire in 2008 was uh, clearly uh, a, an indication that Philip Fulmer still wanted to be involved, that Philip Fulmer, um, yeah, he was going to have a say. I, I, I remember the stories of uh, Philip Fulmer showing up to practice, which technically was an NCAA violation, but he, he showed up to Jeremy Pruitt's practice, and yeah, imagine – you know, Caleb, you had an editor or somebody with, with your, your, your positions and they're looking over your shoulder the entire time. I don't care 
if they're supportive and they're telling you you're fantastic, that is at the end of the day going to affect your performance. I firmly believe that. Um, Chuck said it was Fulmer's last choice to bring him in. Totally agree with that. Now, Travis says something that is is intriguing to me. Anyone who's better than Shiano, therefore Pruitt was accepted. Now, there obviously was the Shiano mess with the Penn State thing. But to this day, it hasn't been proven um, that he had any knowledge of the atrocities that were going on at Penn State. And I would I would offer this too. Shiano at the time was a much better candidate. Now we've seen what's happened since. Much better candidate than Pruitt. We would all agree with that, right? Um, we have to remember, I don't think it was just the Penn State thing with Shiano, if I'm going to be honest with you. I think that if look, we all know if Nick Saban had that scan, if Nick Saban had the loose tie to the scandal that Shiano had, nobody would have cared. I think it was a combination of that Shiano's resume wasn't, I mean, he had a one 11 and two season at Rutgers with Ray Rice, but the minute, you know, I mean, he lost it. Remember this Tennessee had just fired Butch Jones. Shiano got blown out by Butch Jones when he was at Rutgers in like 2011. And there was also some, there were also some stories of him being a bit of a snake when he was in the NFL. I mean, I, I, well, there he was a snake in recruiting too. Um, I I don't doubt that at all. I, th- I think a lot of the coaches are, are snakes. But as far as a resume as a head coach in the NFL compared to Jeremy Pruitt, never been a head coach anywhere. I mean, com- I agree. coming in the door, I mean, that if the Penn State thing didn't exist, which I think was a bit. Uh, thought, they thought tried, of- also, let's not forget, though, John Curry tried to sneak the Shiano hire in at a time when nobody was paying attention. Um, it was like on a Sunday during the NFL. It, it was very clear that he was trying to sneak in the Shiano hire before the press could really get a hold of it and and do anything. And the reason he was trying to do that is because one, let's just call it what it is: the Haslam's were pulling his strings, and they loved Jimmy Haslam for some reason. Loved Shiano, yep. and they and it was because they knew it was going to be a letdown because the fans wanted John Gruden first, which I think they dodged a bullet not getting John Gruden <laughs> and. They wanted Dan Mullen second, but because Curry was so late firing, and we know this, he was so late firing Butch Jones that Florida was already talking with Dan Mullen, and there was no way Tennessee was going to get him at that point. And that whole fiasco goes back to Tennessee took way too long to fire Butch Jones. We all knew he was a disaster of a coach by September of that year, and they didn't fire him until the end of October. No, agreed. And uh, I, th- I thought that the Shiano move was a little bit sneaky. I don't know why they fell in love with him. I don't know why they felt like they had to do it on a sneaky level. Did they worry about the Penn State issues, perhaps? Um, as far as Dan Mullen, t- you talk about Tennessee not moving quick enough. Had they moved quick enough? Now, I still think Dan Mullen's a pretty good coach. Um, I do too. Uh, but had they, had they gotten... Dan Mullen, they would have had to move quickly because they moved slowly and then Florida got involved and then it was over. Kind of similar to the way South Carolina was going to hire Kirby Smart and Georgia said, whoa, 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 we can't miss out on this guy. I don't know if you remember that story, but the South Carolina was ready to move on Kirby Smart. And um, so, yeah, Tennessee just didn't have great options after two, three, or four. I don't know who their two, three, or four were but i guarantee you jeremy pruitt wasn't one two or three wasn't wouldn't it have made more sense for fulmer at that point to like just to and if 
given what we know about Pruitt and given that he was a questionable hire at that point, wouldn't it made more sense just to excite the fan base by hiring Team Harton as head coach and let him bring in a great staff to run the show? I mean, I'm not saying I'm not saying Team Martin would be a great coach. I'm just saying if you were going to make the uninspiring hire in Pruitt, you know, at least Team Martin's a good recruiter. <laughs> I think in both cases you're talking about a carryover coach, a stability coach. Is that basically what you're saying? You're, yeah. You're saying a stability coach to get you to the next coach who hope hopefully wins mm-hmm. at a championship level. I mean, yeah, I mean, I, I guess I could – I could see that. I I haven't been told by anybody in coaching circles that T Martin's ready for that type of position or even necessarily ready to run an entire offense. But yeah, I mean, you could make that argument. You could make a lot of arguments over Jeremy Pruitt, or uh, you could make a lot of arguments over Greg Schiano. Because that's definitely what Tennessee should have done in 2010 with Kippy Brown. They no should have question. definitely made him head coach. No question. It was fantastic the way they interviewed him after they had hired Derek Dooley. That was uh, really high class sarcasm. The Andy Mason group, nothing about sarcasm there. The Andy Mason group, go to andymasonrealestate.com. Andymasonrealestate.com is going to offer you over 40 years of experience in their offense uh, office in uh, real estate that is absolutely unbelievable they live in the pal halls area and they know knoxville real estate inside and out two simple simple business tenants that's the best prices that is also the best service that's andymasonrealestate.com sign up now and get a new view of real estate somebody that cares for you best prices again and best service back in two minutes portions of the program brought to you by bassy lawn and garden man alive it's worth the drive he's caleb calhoun i'm dave hooker sun sand and salt water the beach is a very relaxing place unless you wear contacts ow open your eyes to the best the beach has to offer with lasik vision correction from campbell cunningham laser center ah do you want to own the more that owns every job? Then get to Vasty Lawn and Garden in Cleveland and get you a Toro. I'm David Vasty, here to talk to you about Toro. With a Toro Zero Turn, you'll get more out of every minute and you'll reach the finish line faster. At Vasty's, we like to say, no matter if you're mowing three acres a week or 11 lawns a day, homeowners and business owners alike find confidence in equipment they can trust from top to bottom. Vasty Lawn and Garden, Highway 60 North in Cleveland. Man alive, it's worth the drive. Hey folks, Gary Viles here, Viles Automotive on Callahan Drive. I've been selling cars here in East Tennessee for 27 years. In that time, I've come to realize it's not about the car. It's about you, the customer. So I'm here to take care of you just like family. Good credit, bad credit, you name it, we can get you taken care of. If we don't have it, we can find it for you. We go across the country to get any vehicle that you want. And here at Viles Automotive, we don't believe in fake numbers. We just give you great deals. And as always, we want, we need, and we appreciate your business. Here with City Heating and Air, reminding you to always dare to compare. Our team provides quality local heating and air service, installation, and maintenance across East Tennessee. We use only the best equipment like American Standard Heating and Air Conditioning for your residential, new construction, or commercial needs. Honesty, dependability, and customer satisfaction have been the cornerstones of our business since 1961. City Heat and Air. Dare to compare. Chattanooga, we're at it again. For the fifth year in a row, you voted us best of the best criminal and DUI law firm. And finalists for best law firm and best personal injury firm. Thank you for the love, Chattanooga. We won't let you down. 
He's Caleb Calhoun. I'm Dave Hooker with you weekdays at 10 a.m. Or you can check us out on YouTube anytime. Also, don't forget we're on iHeart. We're on Apple Podcast. We're on Spotify, the whole nine yards. So uh, check us out if you want to hear the audio version if you are on the go. So uh, we drew straws, so to speak, as far as re- uh, report cards for Tennessee's offense looking back at the 2022 season. And Caleb Calhoun drew the offensive straw, which means that the A button on his keyboard may not be working much longer. Uh, it's brought to you by City Heating and Air Conditioning, City Heat and Air, cityheatandair.com, and Integrity Matters at City Heating and Air Conditioning. So, uh, Caleb, your thoughts on um, Tennessee's offense. Let me run through those. I'll throw them at you, and you give me the report cards, um, as that is on offthehooksports.com right now. Also, let's update everybody who is uh, listening live of the news that Tennessee pulls in another commitment. Can you uh, Can you give us a recap on that, please, sir? Yes, uh, BYU transfer quarterback Gabe Judy Lally has transferred to the Vols. He played at Vanderbilt from 2018 to 20, 2019 to 2021, 2018 to 2021, I think. Um, started 10 games in 2021. Then he transferred to BYU last year, um, appeared in every game, um, had uh, seven pass breakups. He is 6'2", 185. He is, bat- he is going back to the SEC, transferring to Tennessee with one year of eligibility. Joining uh, Keenan Peely, who transferred the linebacker who transferred from BYU a month ago to Tennessee, I can't see Tennessee. I can't see him not starting for Tennessee off the bat next year. He's a one year of eligibility. Josh Heupel desperately needs an upgrade in his secondary. He would not have taken this guy if he wasn't expecting him to start immediately. Agreed. Interesting cat. So that's a big pickup when the portal closes now. Now, again, the portal closes, but colleges can still take players. It just means you can't enter the portal until this spring window. So that's where we are on that. All right, let's take a look at a report card that's on offthehooksports.com. Let's start with tight end, for instance. Uh, Princeton Fant, very versatile. Jacob Warren, 12 catches for 163 yards. Your thoughts on the tight end? What grade did you give them? I gave them an A. I mean, there might have been a couple of questions at times about run blocking, but for the most part, they really didn't do anything wrong. I mean, Princeton Fant had, I think he was third on the team in touchdowns, I want to say, if you include all the rushing touchdowns. I think he was behind Jalen Hyatt and Jabari Small. Um, he He had five rushing touchdowns, two receiving touchdowns, and a passing touchdown. Jacob Warren, his stats dropped off a little bit from last year where he because he had 12 catches for 163 yards and no touchdowns. I think a lot of that was Tennessee did a lot more scoring in the red zone in 2021. We talk about Jacob Warren being a red zone tight end. They did a lot of their scoring this year from the 50-yard line. <laughs> and so it's that but overall I give them an A. Very true. The offensive line I would have thought would have been a C at best but they proved me wrong. They were very good. Yes, they did. Um, uh, they got an A-. minus. The For me, the offensive line, to me, is proof that PFF grades 
are so overrated and don't make sense a lot of times because if Tennessee's interior offensive line was constantly grading in the fifties during games this year for PFF grades. But anybody who watched that watched them knew that they weren't in the fifties. Cooper Mays and Jerome Carvin and Javante Spragans did a heck of a job um, run blocking. Darnell Wright was, uh, was incredible at right tackle. Tennessee was about Tennessee was 45th in the country and fewest sacks per game allowed. That's not that bad. That's much better than they were the year before when they were one of the worst at getting sacked. I think a lot of that had to do with Hendon Hooker got a lot better at getting rid of the ball quickly. Um, but when you, you know, when you use a quarterback's legs the way Josh Heupel did with Hooker, you're going to open yourself up to a few more sacks than your average team. So being 45th in sacks allowed, it's actually pretty impressive. And so I give the offensive line an A minus. Hard to give the running backs anything that doesn't start with an A. I thought Tennessee, and this, of course, goes back to the offensive line. Tennessee just um, did a fantastic job of running the football, which was overlooked by the national media, but we saw it each and every week. Yeah, I gave them an A minus two. The only reason I didn't give them an A, and maybe this is a little unfair, but Jabari Small did not average five yards a carry. He averaged just under that. And I feel like in college, great running backs should average five yards a carry. <laughs> but outside of that, you know, Jabari Small, um, Jalen Wright, uh, Dylan Sampson combined for over 2,000 total yards from scrimmage. I mean, what more can you ask for from those three? I mean, that's that's production that that's the that's Gerald Riggs and Cedric Houston 2004 production right there. Wide receiver, A+. plus Can't go wrong with that. Quarterback, A+. plus. Um, it's it's really hard to give out any other grade with this group and what they were able to do. Yeah, I just want to put something in perspective for people with quarterback. Hendon Hooker was a Heisman candidate this year with incredible stats. Joe Milton's efficiency numbers were actually better than Hooker's this year. That's insane. <laughs> and by the way, Milton still hasn't thrown an interception since he's been at Tennessee. I don't know if people don't know that or people know that, but he still has not yet thrown an interception. The team as a whole threw 38 touchdowns and three picks. One of them was by Gaston Moore in like garbage time. So that doesn't, I don't even count that. And so quarterback play was amazing. Chuck saying he wanted uh, to uh, introduce himself. He's Mike Stoll's older brother. Chuck, I know who you are and uh, give your mom uh, my best and tell Mike Stoll, former Tennessee offensive lineman, I said hello. So uh, appreciate you. Being a part of the program, we'll be with you each and every day at 10 o'clock. So if you're on YouTube, hit that thumbs up button. Share as well. If you're on Facebook, that is absolutely fantastic. Portions of the program brought to you by Bassey Lawn and Garden. Man Alive is worth the drive. And if you're curious as to where you should watch NFL action, which, by the way, the San Francisco 49ers get, um, I believe it's eight days to prepare for the Dallas Cowboys, who get six. Not that I'm bitter. But um, if you want to watch NFL action, Big Orange Phillies is the place to do it. That is on Maynardville Pike. It is phenomenal, close to Maynardville. You've got a place to hang out. And also, it is very, very close to Halls and uh, Pal and so on. So you're going to love Big Orange Phillies, great food. They've got darts. They've got um, billiards. They've got cornhole. They've got it all right there at Big Orange Phillies. Off the Hook Sports. Have a fantastic day, everyone. For Caleb Calhoun, I'm Dave Hooker. We will talk to you tomorrow at 10 a.m. And check us out on offthehooksports.com. Great stuff there.